Amen. Check this out. It all began in the 16th century. How many guys were there? Please don't raise your hand. You're going to mess things up. Right? In the 16th century, right? And uh, when a small cabin boy, he, he committed just a, a seemingly, seemingly innocent one little act of rebellion. And here's what he did. All he did was sneak off his boat and make his way to shore to this, this new territory called Mexico. But you see, the problem was this boy was infected with a killer virus. And because of this one act of rebellion, in no time of all, listen, millions of people, both young and old, became infected as well. And in a matter of days, a seemingly mild rash appeared, and, but that soon progressed to a high fever and then, and then vomiting and, and finally an aching all the way into the bones. And the next thing you know, one out of every two people died a horrible death. In fact, one survivor wrote this down at the event in history. He said, when it all began, it spread all over the people with great destruction. They, some were covered with pus pockets all over their bodies, including their faces and heads. And they, they, they could not walk. They only lay in their resting places and beds. And they, they could not move. They could not stir. They could not even change positions, nor lie on one side, nor face down, nor on their backs. Because, listen, if they stirred at all, they cried out in great pain and anguish. And so great was the stench of the dead that people literally fled in utter terror. And what the virus didn't kill, the ensuing of famine and pestilence did, as this society literally shut down completely while dogs and vultures devoured the bodies. Wow. And it was said about this event that, quote, the horsemen of the apocalypse had come to Mesoamerica. The year was 1518. The death toll was over 20 million. The killer virus was, of course, smallpox. Hmm. Not so small after all. Interesting. But how many guys are familiar with the story of the Yucatan Peninsula outbreak of smallpox? Okay, a couple, three historians here today. Praise God, got that one. Okay, and I think we all could agree, though, based on the effects there. Man, that was one of the worst historical disasters of all time, right? But once again, folks, with all due respect to those who lost their lives and that outbreak there, what if I were to tell you I know a disaster that makes that smallpox look like a case of the pimples? Okay, and what if I were to tell you folks that this disaster didn't occur at one place in one country at one time, but it's going on right now today all over the world, and it's been leaving a trail of death and destruction for centuries. Once again, folks, we are talking about the satanic war on the Christian. And folks, the facts are this. We need to wake up as Christians. We don't battle here and there. We don't battle just once in a while. We go to war every single day. Whether you see it, feel it, believe it or not, the moment you got saved, whether you like it or not, you entered into a spiritual war against a real-life, actual demonic host whose sole purpose every single day is to destroy you and to extinguish your effectiveness for Jesus Christ. So in order, once again, for you and I to not get duped and beat up all over the place, unnecessarily so, okay, in this spiritual warfare that we got to deal with, we're going to continue in our study, the satanic war on the Christian. Now, we've already seen, using the battle language in the scripture, we're in a war, not a cakewalk, right? If you're going to win a war, the first thing you must know is who your enemy is. We already saw that. The second thing you need to know is what your enemy is like. What is their character, okay? The third thing, what is the tactic of your enemy? What they're up to? What's their ultimate goal? Which led to the last five times, and that was the fourth thing about our enemy, and that's the destruction of the enemy, okay? And there we saw there is a price to pay when you do what 65% of the professing American church is doing right now, not believing in a literal devil or demons that there's really spiritual warfare. There is a price to pay. He will destroy you. That's what he's all about. He cannot take away your salvation. He moves to plan B and to get you to do anything and everything, but grow up in Jesus Christ and become a threat to the enemy. 
Okay, that's what he's up to. Now, we saw last time the fifth destruction that he throws our way is he will twist us. And that's what the enemy does. He takes God's truth and he twists, contorts, and perverts it, right? And so he takes us, the born-again Christian, he can't take away our salvation, but he twists us into something else. And the last time we saw he'll turn us into a doubting Christian, right? Very subtle, unfortunately very effective, right? And there we saw the devil will trick you and I into placing our security and our future into something else other than God, right? Now, the sad thing about that is it twists and contorts us. He uses the same old weapon that he did in Genesis 3, doubt. Did God really say he's going to take care of you and all this stuff, right? Again, the problem is it turns us, it twists us. It turns us into greedy people, insecure people. Guess what? We look no different than this wicked world system, Right? And it's not only is destructive to us and our walk with Christ, it's, it destroys our witness for Christ. Right, Because we should be some of the most peaceful people on the planet, but we're all wigged out and worried and anxiety just like everybody else. And that ain't much of an enticement when the world's looking to see, does this Jesus really work for you? Okay, it's spiritual warfare. It's not a minor issue. Okay, unfortunately, the enemy is real. He's wicked. He's evil. He hates our guts and he doesn't stop. Okay, so the sixth destruction he tries to turn us into, not just a doubting Christian, right, and robs us of our peace that we have in Christ, but he turns us into a depressing Christian, <laughs> and he takes away the joy that we have in Christ, okay? And this is a lesson that I think we need to be reminded of constantly in our world today, because the world wants you to think that the only way that you can have a regular, consistent joy, okay, is if your life is always going the way you want it to be. How many of you guys realize that's called a pipe dream? That's make-believe. That's not reality, Okay, now don't take my word for it. Let's go back to God's, right? We're gonna see that, listen, joy, it doesn't matter how bad of a day you got going on, you can still rejoice in the Lord and be a positive witness for our joyless world, okay? But turn to your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3. Now, if you want some help there, uh, just go towards that section in your Bible where the pages are crisp and clean and white. There's not a wrinkle in there, almost as if you've never been there before. Right? <laughs> right? Uh, or for those of you wondering, it's uh, page 831 in my Bible, if that'll help you. Right? But Habakkuk chapter 3, as we get ready to stand and read the Word of God, two verses, but the prophet Habakkuk tells us, I believe, the secret to maintaining that positive, joyful witness that the enemy is so desperately trying to take away from us in just two verses. And you think you had a bad day? Wait till you see what Habakkuk mentions in this text. This is wild, right? How many guys still ain't there? Raise your hand, be honest. Right? Oh, hey, praise God, you scholars. We're there. Right? But Habakkuk chapter 3, let's take a look. Verse 17. Listen, listen to his day. Listen, listen. Here's what he says. Listen. Though the fig tree does not bud. What's that? The crops ain't working out. Uh-oh. There goes, there goes the economy, right? There goes my, my livelihood. And, and then though the fig trees don't bud, and, and guess what? There's no grapes on the vine. Oh, man, there goes my bank account. What's going on? Man, that ain't good. And the olive crop fails. <laughs> three for three. There goes my 401k, the retirement. Oh, no. Everything's going down the hills. Oh, no. And then the fields, they produce no food. What am I going to do? I ain't got no money. I ain't got no food. And though there's no sheep in the pen. Oh, no. My clothes, my money's gone. The food's gone. The clothes gone. What's that next verse say? <laughs> there's no cattle. In the stalls. I just want to close in prayer. That's going to be the worst day ever. Right? Excuse me. There's, there's not even any cows around, man. Oh, man. It's just all going downhill. There's no cattle in the stalls. Here's the point. Yet what? I will rejoice in who? 
the Lord. I will be what? Joyful in who? God, my Savior. You may be seated, okay? Now, in all seriousness, folks, this is an awesome text. The prophet Habakkuk, he clues us in on something that apparently I think even as Christians we've long forgotten. Okay, and or dare I say in our joyless world, okay, we need to be reminded of repeatedly, right, for our benefit. And he tells us when it comes to the issue of joy, okay, what did he basically in essence say just in those two powerful verses? He basically said, listen, it doesn't matter if you're having the worst day of your life. It doesn't matter if you're having the worst year of your life. It doesn't matter, listen, how bad things get in your life. Why? Because there is no excuse for a child of God to still not be able to rejoice in God. And that's the issue, isn't it? What are you rejoicing into? And he tells us the secret. I believe here, listen, this is the crux of the study. Joy is not based on how we feel about our life and our circumstances. Listen, it's a deliberate act of faith in God in spite of our life, in spite of our circumstances. Do you get that? I'll say it again. Joy is not based on how we feel about our life and our circumstances. Joy from God is a deliberate act of faith in him in spite of our life and circumstances. It's spiritual warfare, folks, one-on-one, to get us to not place our joy in God. And that's why the first sign to indicate you're becoming that depressing Christian, the enemy is robbing you of the joy in God, is when you focus on your feelings instead of your father, instead of God, okay? Now, the first definition of the word depressed means this, to feel downhearted or blue, blue, despair, agony. Remember that? Remember the spirit of hee-haw? Anybody else get tortured with that growing up? Yeah, agony only, <laughs> to, to be depressed, to downhearted, blue, low in the spirits, right? That's what depressed means, right? And this is what the enemy does, right? And Because listen, he can't take away our salvation. He just goes to plan B. Maybe you heard something like this growing up as a Christian. He's, hey, listen, listen, listen. I know, Sybil, that having Jesus in your life is good and all, okay? I couldn't trick you from being saved, right? Okay, I guess you could tell that. But, but, but listen, are you serious? <laughs> mean to tell me that you're going to be joyful all the time? I mean, don't you think you're putting that smile on a little too thick there, buddy? I mean, do you want people to think that you're one of those wackos? Those, I, mean, I mean, everybody knows that you're going to be depressed and, and you can't maintain joy. Really? And you might be thinking, hey, listen, you know, joyless life as a Christian, no big deal. It doesn't hurt anybody. Wrong. That's a lie, folks, from the pit of hell because the devil knows that a depressing feeling leads to a demolition, and the first demolition is he, he's got you. You're off track, man. You're not seeking joy in God. You're seeking it from a phony high, right? It's all about your feelings, right? Somehow you just need that feeling to pump you up, right? And, and that's what we're going to see. But the Bible says, listen, you're going through trials in life, just like Habakkuk, right? You choose to rejoice in God. And he doesn't say just stare at the wall and hopefully it's going to work out. He says if you got a concern, okay, you still don't have to lose out on his joy. Just present that concern to God and enjoy his peace. That's all you got to do, right? I didn't say it. Paul did this in Philippians. Let's take a look at this text again. Philippians 4, verse 4, 6, and 7. Rejoice in the Lord when it's always working out. Oh, I'm sorry, wrong translation there. Rejoice in the Lord when the economy is always good. Or rejoice in the Lord when everything's going your way. Rejoice in the Lord when you got great health and great everything... I just really got the wrong translation. What's it? Rejoice in the Lord what? Oh, you know, in fact, I love this. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again just to make sure you really get the point. Rejoice in the Lord always is what Paul says there. Now, and so here's the point. Well, I can't do that because I, I get worried. I, I get things happen. What's he say? Don't do it. You don't have to go there. Don't be anxious about 
anything. Well, what do you do? Just stare at the wall and hope it works out. No. He gives you an action step, but in everything by what? Prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Why? Because here's the payoff. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, the Bible says that, listen, we are not to just rejoice in God. Number one, Paul says it not once, but twice for emphasis. Remember the biblical rule? Anytime God repeats anything in the scripture more than once, what's he saying? All my word is important, but you really need to get this point. Right? And so what's Paul say? Rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, excuse me. Rejoice in the Lord always. This is important, is what he's saying there. Right? So he said we are to always rejoice in the Lord. Now, you guys are very astute. I can see that just by your countenances. How many guys would say that always kind of implies a long time? <laughs> yeah, it means all the time, right? Okay, I didn't say it. He did, okay? And again, notice that Paul did not say that the way that we pull this off that's right. To rejoice in God always is to grit our teeth. I'm happy. I'm a happy Christian, right? Or know that phony smile, right? When everything just went wrong. Yeah, I'm happy. Everything's great. He didn't, say, he didn't say neither did you need to go out and buy something or purchase something from the world, okay, in order to, quote, make yourself feel happy. He didn't say that. What did he say? He said, don't, listen, purchase anything from man for a temporary phony high. He said, present your request to God and receive his peace. But see, that's what the world does, right? It wants us to not go to God, but go to something else, which usually comes with a price tag, Oh, and granted, it'll pump up your feelings, but what's the problem with feelings? They're up one minute, they're down the next. Right? We've talked about that before, right? I'll give you the, the analogy, right? I've, I've said this before. You go to uh, car dealerships, or, or usually historical for this, sometimes furniture stores, right? But uh, they always have those uh, blow-up things. Like sometimes they'll have a giant gorilla on top to get your attention to look this way like squirrel, right? Uh, gorilla, you know, giant gorilla, look over here, come, stop here, right? Restaurants will do that too. But sometimes they'll have this, uh, these like tube-looking guys with these, these things coming out of their head, like a pipe cleaner-looking thing, whatever, right? But have you noticed that? The, the thing doesn't always stay up firm and straight all the time. What's it do? Right? Listen, listen. I'll never forget the day this hit me. I'm going like, man, that's what we do as Christians. No wonder we're freaking people out. Right? Because we don't place our joy in the Lord, which means it can be constant, firm, unsaid. Not saying we're plastic and fake. We got challenges, but we can still rejoice in God. I'm not making it up. He said it. Right? But you, and wow, what a witness that is. And so, but no, we don't. We, we get tricked. No, we, 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 we don't turn to God. We turn to this thing in this world. But guess what? It's based on a feeling. Feelings are what? Feelings are up and down. And so here's our witness. Hey, I'm a Christian. Everything's great. Yeah, hey, things are awesome. Don't you want to come to church with me? We're all over the place. There's no consistency. And the world's looking at us. What's wrong with you? It freaks people out. But Paul says you don't have to do that. You can always. And it's not fake. It's real. Now, you do that day in, day out. Just seek it in God. Listen, you're going to have challenges. You're going to have a day when, frankly, there ain't no cow. There ain't no grapes. There ain't no nuts. It's just one of those days. Ah. But it's a deliberate act of faith. No, I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to take what really concerns me, because this is really going on. I'm going to pray about it with thanksgiving. God, I know you're going to take care of it. I'm going to receive your peace, and I'm going to rejoice. Now, you run across somebody like that, 
Put yourself in the non-Christian shoes. You run across a Christian like that, what in the world is going to be their response? Can you imagine running across a Christian who's always full of joy? I mean, there's a consistent track record. They're not down in the dumps. They're just rejoicing in God no matter what, doing what God says. You're not being plastic or fake. You're presenting your request to him. You're receiving his peace, maintaining that joy. I mean, the, the non-Christians, the first thing they got to be is what? <laughs> how, how do you do that? Because I work with you, or you're my neighbor too, or you live in this neighborhood too, or, or you're in the same town as I'm in. You're, you're dealing with the same problems I'm dealing with, but what's the difference? How do you do that? How do you maintain that joy? I, can I have that? What a witness. And you wonder why the enemy works so hard to get us to not seek that constant joy in the Lord. I will rejoice in God. In the Lord and God, my Savior. Oh, I got a concern, all right. I'm not acting like this ain't happening. Problems do happen. But I'm just going to present this over to God. God, I don't see it right now, but you promised to take care of me. I got your peace. Wow. No wonder he wants to take that away. Because, folks, I don't know if you know this, but our world is very joyless. And this is like a moth to a flame, man. When it's real and it's not, when it's a consistent, witness. Wow. People say, hey, can I have what you have? The enemy goes for the throat on that. And I want to explore two different ways that he does it. And these are all ways to get us away from God. Don't spend time in God. Don't go back to God. Don't rejoice in God. Don't keep that joy going. No, 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 no. You need to pump up your feeling in two different areas. And the first way he does it is what I call words of fun. Hollywood, entertainment, all those kinds of stuff, right? And you just delight yourself in that form of entertainment. And everything's going to be great. I just got to go escape. And Really? Well, the Bible says you want to delight in something. You need to delight yourself in the Lord. And again, there's a payoff with that. Isaiah 61.10 says, I delight greatly in the Hollywood. No, I'm sorry. Wrong translation again. I got to get a new Bible. I delight greatly in the Lord. And what happens? My soul, what's the, what's the side effect? My soul, there it is again. My soul rejoices greatly in my God. Anybody starting to see a pattern here? When you spend time with God, when you go to God, when you just abide in God, when you delight yourself in God, what's a payoff? Yeah. I'm not making this up. It's right here. It's like we don't even, if only I knew how. It's right here. Just spend time with God. Trust him. Delight in him. Your soul will greatly rejoice. Okay, not just rejoice, but greatly rejoice. Okay, now that's what the Bible says, but apparently that's not good enough anymore. Right? As Christians, we, we, we listen to the Pied Piper of this wicked world system. I mean, you've heard this before, I'm sure, right? It's all over the commercials. Hey, are you feeling bored? Are you restless in your life? Are you feeling depressed or down the dumps lately? So here's what you do delight yourself in God and rejoice again. No one doesn't say that. Well, they say, hey, you don't need something spiritual. You need something entertaining, right? Hey, that's right. You need to go to that amusement park. You need to go watch that movie. You need to get involved in all this. And this thing, Whoa. isn't that what they say? Don't turn to God. Turn to this form of entertainment, right? Why? Because that entertainment, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. You go to that movie, man, actions. It's like, wow. You'll get your feelings up. Five minutes later, you're in the car. I can't believe I ate five pounds of popcorn. I feel sick. But even the fun that you had at that movie, it went away. And you're still stuck with your problems and all that stuff. So there you went. You did it. You're that blow-up thing again. Right? What else do they say? 
oh yeah, spend time doing this thing and what, it doesn't last because feelings come, feelings go. That's all it is. It's a temporary, phony, emotional high, right? And that's what they do. And if you don't think that we, even as Christians, really do this, listen to this. Why in the world do we spend $100 billion, not million, $100 billion and over 100 billion hours every single year in America just on legal forms of entertainment? Who are we delighting in? When the hard times hit, who are we really turning to? It just comes and then just goes. But guess what? It costs, doesn't it? It's a lot of money to be made off of this trap, right? If that's your escape. In fact, it's gotten so bad, believe it or not, I found in the Christian community, there's a new uh, 23rd Psalm. Have you guys heard of it? Yeah, it's called the 23rd Channel. It goes something like this, right, with the media. Hey, the TV is my shepherd. I shall want, right? Is this what the commercials say? It makes me lie down on the sofa. Uh, It leads me away from the scriptures, and it destroys my soul. Hey, it leads me in the path of sex and violence for the sponsor's sake, and yay, though I walk through the shadow of my Christian responsibilities, there will be no interruption for the TV, is with me. It's cable and remote. They control me. It prepares a commercial before me in the presence of worldliness. It anoints my head with humanism and my coveting runneth over. Surely laziness and ignorance shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house watching TV forever. (laughs) And again, we laugh, but we laugh because what? It's so true. Folks, I'm telling you, listen, I'm not saying I don't watch TV. I watch TV. I'm not saying I don't go to a movie. We go to movies. I'm not saying it's not even exciting to go to a movie, provided they're clean, right? But if that's your form of, oh, man, it's just, ah, and then you rush to that instead of God, it's a trap. You'll never have that ability to not just rejoice in God, and not just rejoice in God always, but to rejoice greatly. Who are you delighting in? There needs to be a proper Balance. And by the way, if we think that by putting that stuff in our mind is going to give us joy in the heart, again, it can't last. It's all based on feelings which are up and down. And you might be out there, well, Pastor Billy, I'm not one of those people who's into all that social media and media this and movies that and Hollywood this. I could care less about all those idols and then things and that people. and all. Okay, you know, but TV, the only thing I watch on TV is the news, right? That's what I do. How many of you guys realize sarcasm is coming up? Right? And, uh, you know, just only a couple hours a day, you know, because here's the deal. I ain't got time. I ain't got time to spend time with God. I ain't got time to delight in Him. I ain't got, you got plenty of time if you just cut out some of this stuff. But, but no, it's not just the movies and social media and stuff, as we saw before. It's, I just watch the news. It's just, you, uh, you know, two hours a day, or maybe, maybe it's three, maybe it's four, five, six hours. I forget. But, you know, because you got to be informed. Hey, I'm all for being informed. But not at the expense of spending time with God. And if that's all you're delighting in, and that's all you're ingesting, I don't know if you checked the news lately, but it ain't very joyful. Watch this. Congress shall now vote for approval of H.R. 8791, the Homeland Terrorism Preparedness Bill. Uh, said bill requests emergency response funding up to and including, uh, I'm sorry, this section is classified. Uh, dollars to prepare for a national level terrorist attack and or attack from classified. Funding for first responder personnel and vehicles would be doubled if said attack leads to more than 80% of national population being affected by classified. 
This funding shall commence in conjunction with the first attack on um, classified or the first large-scale outbreak of classified, dependent upon which comes first. Civilian and military units shall be trained in containment and combat of classified, including irradiated classified, with possibility of classified airborne, classified flesh-eating, classified, and or all of the above in such event as classified spewing, classified escape, are released or otherwise become uncontrollable. Air Force units may also be directed to combat said classified due to their enormous size and otherworldly strengths. Should event occur in urban areas, that's classified, far surpassing our darkest nightmares, should casualties uh, exceed classified body disposal actions, shall be halted and associated resources shall be reallocated to classified underground, classified protected birthing centers. A new Bill of Rights shall be drafted and approved by classified. Having now reviewed the bill, I ask you to please cast your votes. Now turn to somebody and say, wow, I'm just so full of joy right now, watching that news broadcast. And Now for those of you who are freaking out, that was a parody, that was fake. Okay, that wasn't a real thing, okay. But I mean, but seriously, it's like, listen, again, there's a balance here. I'm not saying don't be informed. I'm in the news all the time trying to stay up with the current events and prophecy-related issues. I'm not against that, but here's the point. Not at the expense of delighting in God. And if this is all you're tuning into, oh yeah, maybe you're not doing the Hollywood thing and the social media thing, but man, hour after hour after hour after hour of that, I don't know about you, but that don't instill joy in me. How do you know that the world's messed up? There's plenty of drugs and violence and murders. And again, I'm not saying don't get informed. Be informed. But again, what's the parody? Not at the expense of God. Delight yourself in God. Spend time with God. And even when you do watch this stuff, it ain't going to drag you down. That's the balance. And you maintain that joy with God. And again, think about it, folks. It doesn't just hurt our walk with God. I mean, I'll never forget as a, a, a young Christian, I could not believe it when I came across Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus said these words. I didn't. He said, don't worry about your life. Do you understand that? We just read a parallel passage with that, Philippians chapter 4. Don't be anxious about anything. Do you realize, I didn't say it, God did. We have divine permission from God, the creator of the universe, as his children. I don't ever have to worry or be anxious. Yeah! No wonder we're rejoicing greatly in God. I don't have to. I'm set free from that. So if I'm not experiencing that, I got seduced. Somebody tricked me from delighting in God and taking God at his word. And now I'm living like this. Freaking people out. You don't have to. Why do we fight this? Do you realize God says you don't have to worry Christian. I got you covered. I got your back. You seek first my kingdom. My righteousness. I'll take care of you. Don't worry. I know you're going to have challenges. I told you they were going to come. You just present those to me. I'll take care of it. Enjoy my peace. Be a great witness. That's, a, that's before we even get to heaven. It's like icing on the cake of being saved. But think about it. It's not just us missing on that. What's the witness there? Are we not sane when we live like this? 
When we don't delight in the Lord, when we delight in media and the news and all that stuff at the expense of God, are we not giving the impression to the lost person that, listen, the news is more important? The news from man is more important than the word of God? Are we not saying that Jimmy Kimmel is more entertaining than Jesus? Are we not saying that a movie produces more joy than the maker of the universe? Do we not give people the impression they need to turn to Hollywood instead of our Heavenly Father to fill them with a true lasting joy? There's a witness there. And it's greatly needed today in the church because our world is looking for it in all the wrong places. Amen? Right, that's just the first way. The second way he does it, okay, if he can't get you with the media... He gets you with the words of fun. You need entertainment. That's right. Pump up those feelings, right? Uh, he'll do it with what I call words of physicians, right? How many of you guys are having a great day? You're having a great day, and, and all of a sudden, you went to the doctor, right? No, I'm not anti-doctor, and that's not my point in all this stuff, right? But pay attention, folks. Uh, doctors are good. I personally, I've said this before. I'll say it again. I'm not against medication. I'm not against doctors. Personally, I'm glad that if I get into a serious car accident, there's a doctor around. Okay, I think that's common sense. I'm very glad that if I had a broken bone or needed a surgery, they put drugs in me so I don't feel a thing. I like that. I don't want to have no doctors, no nothing. Okay, I'm not against that. That's not my point. But there is a rogue element in the medical community that's ripping us off. That's what I'm going to focus on with this, okay? Listen to this, right? Here's where they come in. Instead of turning to God and getting it right... Man, I need to delight in the Lord. I need to trust in him. I need to be like Habakkuk. I need to be like Paul. Just no matter what's going on, turn to God and and trust him. He's going to take care of it. Enjoy his peace. Be No, no, no. We turn to the physicians and the physicians are out there going like this. Oh, I'll fix your problem with not having joy. Of course, it's going to cost you. But boy, it's in the form of a pill or it's in the form of a a special diet and all these things that you can do with your body and it's going to produce this amazing joy. Really? Is that really where it comes from? Now, if you don't think that the medical community, an element in the medical community does this, listen to this. It's an article called Worried Well. Listen to this. You walk into your doctor's office for a physical exam. You step on the scale. Now, last year the doctor said you were overweight, but now he says you're obese. But it's the exact same weight. Now, a nurse takes your blood pressure and says you have hypertension. But it's the same previous healthy reading you've had for years. The doctors scan your wrist bone, and now you have a bone condition. But you get the same bone density that was fine the last time you were measured. You leave the office uh, with a head full of worry and a fistful of new prescriptions, joining nearly 70% of Americans who take one or more prescribed drugs. You're suddenly sick simply because they changed the definition on the terms of disease. And behind those changes are the companies that make all those newly prescribed pills. Listen, every time the boundary of a disease is expanded, the hypertension threshold is lowered by 10 blood pressure points, the guideline for obesity is lowered by 5 pounds, the market for drugs expands by millions of consumers and billions of dollars. Just because you've dropped it a little. The result, skyrocketing sales of prescription drugs, soaring health care costs, escalating patient anxiety, worst of all, millions of people taking drugs that may carry a greater risk than the underlying problems. The treatment, in fact, may make them sick and even kill them. But millions of them may not even truly even be sick. It may never be, even without medication. The medical profession term for these people is the worried well. 
So he just went in there and he thought things are going great. I, he's, I got to get a good report because my weight hasn't changed. And last time he said it was great. You get in there this time. Oh, no, you don't. Now you're this. Now you're that. And we've discovered a new thing. Did you know that you have hyperflavin fluid flavin? Really? Oh, what's that? It's an enlarged toenail. Oh, my life is over. But here's a pill. It'll fix your toenail for you. And you left out there. Oh, but we're not done yet. You also got blah, 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 blah. So what was that? You have a hair come out of your back. Oh. And here's a pill for that. Here's a pill for that. Have you noticed they've switched it now? It's called direct consumer marketing. Remember back in the day that we didn't know what the drugs were? I didn't know what the drugs were. If you need a drug, it is because you had to go to the doctor because your leg was falling off. So you did the thing and you went to the doctor. And there the doctor was the one who says, oh, hey, I tell you what, we got this new thing called blah, 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 and it's going to fix your leg. Okay, thanks, doc. Have you noticed they don't do that anymore? Have you noticed the ads on the TV? Young whippersnappers, that wasn't always the case. Ads on TV, they're using to get us to not wait for the doctor to tell us. They want us to tell the doctor what we want. It's called direct consumer marketing, right? In fact, listen, I'm going to share with you that. Listen to this. Researchers have discovered that doctors are easily persuaded to prescribe uh, drugs, okay, when patients mention having seen them on television advertisements. Doctors were five times more likely to write the prescription after the patients inquired about them. The studies have published in the Journal of Medical, uh, Medical Association suggest that direct consumer marketing advertising on which pharmaceutical companies roughly spend, listen, $3 billion a year. Not million. Those commercials we're seeing, they spend $3 billion a year. Why? Because they're going to make billions more back, right? When a patient, quote, asks for a drug, they tend to get the drug regardless of whether or not it's appropriate for them. That's been the practice. And surveys have shown that patients ask for a prescription based on the advertisement now millions of times per year, which translates into billions and billions of dollars per year. Do you see what's going on? I'm not against the medical community. I'm not against medication. I'm not against uh, right there. But there's an element with the big pharma companies, folks. It's all about you and I getting into this. That we don't wait for the doctor to sell us. We tell the doctor what we want. Guaranteed consumer. Now, the sad thing about that is, listen, how many times do we have to deal with the medical community with all due respect? It ain't just pills. It's this whole diet thing, Right? Because it's not just this pill that's going to give you this incredible joy with your nail hairy back problem or whatever, right? It's, it's you got to fix your diet. You can't eat this. You got to eat that. You got to stop doing that. And this will give you great joy because you... How many times have we been down that route? In fact, how many times have we been down that route and only six months later they say, oops, sorry, I guess we're wrong about that, right? It's like this guy. Watch this. This is so true. Pay attention to this one. I'm from the future. I'm here to warn you, don't eat that food. Why not? The eggs, they're full of cholesterol. What? Cholesterol, it 
It clogs up your arteries. Eating even just one egg can dramatically increase your chance of heart attack. Don't eat eggs. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Godspeed. Well, I guess I better take those eggs. Wait! Stop! You're back! Yeah. We were wrong about the eggs. How? Well, it turns out there's two types of cholesterol. There's good cholesterol and bad cholesterol, and eggs actually have both. So you can eat eggs, but just don't eat the egg yolks. So stick with the egg whites. Thank yes, thank you. Yeah. Godspeed! Yeah. Yeah, okay, so it turns out that the amount of cholesterol in a food doesn't actually affect how much cholesterol ends up in your blood. The eggs are probably fine. In fact, we sort of don't even know what cholesterol is. But the steak! You can't eat the steak! Why not? Turns out that red meat increases your chance of heart attack. You have to cut out red meat. So no steak! Thank you. Godspeed. What? No, no steak, mister. What? Wait! We were wrong about the steak! It's the toast. Man was not meant to eat bread. What do you mean, man was not meant to eat bread? Well, if you think about it, human beings should really only be eating what our Paleolithic ancestors ate. So, therefore, no bread, no toast. How do you know what our Paleolithic ancestors ate? Well, we, we just have to guess, right? I mean, we don't have any way of knowing wh Okay. I don't know what we were thinking. If anything, we should all be eating a lot more bread. Jeez. So I guess just, um... Ignore everything I've said and exercise. Exercise, okay. Yeah. Yeah, you guys could probably use it. You've been just sitting here for the last 35 years. It's been five minutes. Right. Time travel. All right, well, Godspeed! Turns out it's genetic. Doesn't matter whether you exercise or what you eat. I'm sorry I ruined your meal. And he punched him out. No. <laughs> now, does that sound familiar or what? How many times have we been through this, right? And again, I'm not against doctors. I'm not against even diets. And I'm not against trying to eat right. But listen, if that's what you do, if you think that's going to give you the constant joy, you're wrong. Because they get it wrong all the time, with all due respect. And you're back to that thing. You feel great because I'm doing that. I'm not eating eggs. Yay! Okay, no, I'm not eating. Did you catch that? They actually said for a while you shouldn't eat cow. I mean, you know that was wrong, right, with that one. So, right, can't eat bread. We're up and down. We're doing that thing. Oh, no, I mean the wrong thing. I'm going to die. Just like the rest of the world. Hey, eat in moderation. You need to go to the doctor, go to the doctor. But don't place your joy in these things that cannot give you constant joy. And certainly not at the expense of spending time with God. That's the whole point.
And again, it doesn't just affect our walk. We're a witness to people, okay? And when we live like this, we laugh because this is how people live. But as Christians, we sh- this is our golden opportunity. We should give them something different, something that goes, wow, can I have that? Because skipping eggs ain't, ain't working. Watching Hollywood, it just doesn't last. How do you do it? It has effect on people. In fact, let's take a look at this, folks. This is, this is where it is. The German atheist, Friedrich Nietzsche, he said, scornfully about the Christians of his day. He said, I would believe in their salvation if they looked a little more like people who've been saved. Right? Come to Jesus. You need to get saved. Don't you want to be a Christian? What's going on here? These are real people. They're watching us, folks, whether you see it or not. Philip Brooks, he said this, the religion that makes a man look sick certainly won't cure the world. Isn't that the truth? Listen to this. Billy Sunday said this, to see some Christians you'd think an essential to being one is to have a face so long you could eat oatmeal out the end of a gas pipe. <laughs> I still don't know what he's talking about, but it's funny. <laughs> Oliver Wendell Holmes, he said this, listen, I might have entered the ministry if so many Christians didn't look and act like they were undertakers. Right? They're watching, the world's watching us, folks. And Gandhi said this, supposedly with E. Stanley Jones, missionary. He said, Mr. Gandhi, though you quote the words of Christ, why is it that you appear so adamantly to reject becoming his follower? To supposedly Gandhi said, oh, I don't reject your Christ. I love your Christ. It's just that so many of you Christians are so unlike your Christ. Ooh, that stings, doesn't it? And listen to this. Let's bring it home. Church services. High school. This is true. I'm not making this up. High school letter wrote the, uh, girl wrote this letter to her so-called Christian friend who invited her to the church services. Listen, she said, I attended your church service yesterday. During the singing of the hymns, uh, I was surprised to note that some of the church people, they weren't even singing. Between their sighs and yawns, they just stared into space. The pastor's sermon was very interesting, although some members didn't seem to think so. They looked bored and restless. I said good morning to one couple, but their response was less than cordial. And she said this, my parents don't go to church services. And I came alone yesterday hoping to find a place to truly worship God. But I'm sorry, I didn't find it in your church and I won't be back. People are watching us. Now, we don't have to fake it. We don't have to turn it on, turn it off. That's hypocrisy. Don't do that. If we just get back to delighting in the Lord. Not at the expense of the Lord. Delight in the Lord. Rejoice in him. No matter what's going on, I will trust you, God. I'm going to present my requests over to you. I'm just going to enjoy your peace and just be that faithful, joyful Christian. It's not make-believe. We can, we can have that. Not just for us, but to be a positive witness to the people around us. It's spiritual warfare. Because I'm telling you, this is one of the big things the world is waiting to see in us Christians. Now, as we close, for those of you who think, no, you just don't understand. Here's the game we play. You just don't understand my problems, Pastor Billy. Yeah, Habakkuk had a pretty bad day. Paul, yeah, he's got a pretty bad shipwreck three times, beaten, flogged, and all that stuff, went to prison. Yeah, that's pretty bad. But you don't understand my problems. Yeah, I'm gonna look. And we'd like justify as to why we can't. No, that's not true. And once again, I've shared this a while back, but you want the ultimate acid test to me? 
that it doesn't matter if there are no cows, there are no crops, there are no grapes, there are no vines. You're stuck in prison with Paul, who, by the way, that's where he was when he wrote Philippians for doing the right thing, not the wrong thing, serving Jesus. If you think it's absolutely impossible and you somehow have to have all the entertainment right, all the circumstances in your life right, everything's got to be going your way before you can put a smile on your face for Jesus, then as we close, let's watch Nick. Nick has joy, and Nick didn't have, still to this day, a perfect life. Watch this. Um, my name is Nick Vujicic, and um, as you can see, I have no arms and no legs. And we know that God is a great God. We know that God is love. But the question that I had in my life, now 24, understanding the love of God in my life, when I was a child, I didn't understand his love for me. For if God loves me, then why does he let me go through pain? Why does he not change our circumstance? And we all have a cross to bear. We all have something to carry. We all have a circumstance. But we forget that the goodness of God is in his faithfulness. That he doesn't let anything happen without a reason. In Romans 8.28 it says, All things come together for the good for those who love him. Even the worst part of your life, God can use for good. How do I know that? Well, first of all, the Bible says so. And second of all, I see it now. I see the good. Did I see it when I was a child? No. Did my parents see the good in their son being born without arms and legs at first? No. But just because you can't see the purpose yet, it doesn't mean it's not coming. Amen? You don't go to a train station, look down the railway and say, no, the train's not here, I'm leaving. No, you wait for the train because the schedule says it's going to come. Well, you wait for the purpose and the good because guess who says it's going to come? God. Do you think that God is reliable? Yes. He never fails. That's what the Bible says. And just because you can't understand it, it doesn't mean it's not there or it's not coming. It's hard, though, to trust. But don't you see, this is where the victory lies. This is when we are transformed, when we invite God into our life, that we become more than conquerors. What does that mean? That my circumstance is not going to conquer me. In fact, I don't even need to worry about not having arms and legs. I already have victory. Why? Because I trust in God's grace. I trust in God's perfection when He says no. See, I can't guarantee you this morning that God is going to change every single circumstance because He didn't change mine. But I'm here today to tell you this, that if He doesn't choose to change your circumstance, don't let the enemy steal your joy. Yeah.
if anybody has the ultimate excuse as to why they just can't rejoice, it's got to be Nick. Puts everything we go through into perspective, doesn't it? No offense. But what do you do? Somewhere along the line, just like Habakkuk, just like Paul, Nick, a real Christian like us, he had a choice to make. And you know what he's chosen to do? I choose to delight in my God, in the Lord my Savior. I choose to rejoice that even though life is not perfect, even though things aren't going the way I want them to go, I choose Jesus Christ. I choose to trust him. And even if I don't see the reason now, I know it's coming. And in the meantime, I receive his peace. I receive his joy. And God uses you to lead many souls to him. Let's be those people. We just had the Las Vegas shooting. People are freaking out. They're down the dumps. And you and I could just simply be rejoicing Christians. Not fake Christians, not grumpy Christians, not mad Christians. Delightful Christians. And just by the way we live, we could draw them to Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Now, before you answer that, let me uh, share with you a couple things that the Bible says. The Bible says that God is holy and that we are not. And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. We don't deserve to go to heaven when we die. We deserve to go down. We deserve to go to hell. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this problem that we have, that we're separated from God not only now, but we're going to be separated from Him for all eternity in a place called hell. We, we, we don't even want to admit that. So, once again, out of love, God gives us what's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were God's x-ray, if you will, divine x-ray to, to get us to admit the problem that we have inside that's separating us from Him. Let, let, let's take a look at a few of those of God's divine x-ray. For instance, if you think that you're worthy on your own, you don't need a Savior, uh, you're going to get to heaven all by yourself, then let's take a look at God's test there. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. Uh, how many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, you just told one. But folks, we've all done that. That makes us a liar. The Ten Commandments, God's x-ray, showing us that we have sin that's separating us from Him. We're not holy and perfect like Him. The Fifth Commandment says this, you shall not steal. Don't ever once take anything without permission. How many of you have ever done that? Well, if we're not going to tell another lie, we, we should all admit that as well. Well, that makes us a thief now. The Bible says that God is so holy, uh, even His name is holy. And that's why the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And if we're honest again, folks, hey, a lot of us, how many of us have used the blessed name of Jesus Christ? The only name, the Bible says, under heaven that men might be saved. We've now turned it into a common cuss word, if you can believe that. The Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says, hey, show, you want to show God you're so perfect, you have no sin? Then don't ever once commit adultery. And you might say, well, I, I've never done that, really? Jesus lays the standard before us. God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside. Jesus said, if you ever looked with lust in your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's His holy standard. 
One more. The Bible says, okay, you think you're so good? Uh, then don't ever once commit murder. You shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I, at least I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible again says that the sin of hatred, wishing someone was uh, dead, is akin to the sin of murder. It's just, if you will, you pull the trigger in your heart. So, so, so how are you doing? That's just five out of ten of God's divine x-ray, by the way, uh, showing us the problem. How are you doing? Not if, but when your time comes, we're all going to stand before God. You will be forced to admit what He already knows. Hey, God, let me in. Let me in. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a, I'm a thief. I'm a, a blasphemer, an adulterer, and a murderer. And the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not headed to heaven in that state. You're headed to hell. But here's the good news. God said if we would just admit this, number one, then he could fix it. And it gets fixed only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because only Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And Jesus died on the cross. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be set free. And since we weren't there, and since it's a gift and we can't earn it, we have to receive that wonderful gift by faith. And the Bible says God will pardon us for our crimes, our sins, against Him. And you could actually see this analogy working uh, in the natural, in the normal world. Uh, we see this actually uh, in the courtroom. For instance, if a person is guilty and, and everybody knows they're guilty, they've committed a horrible crime and, and, and the, the sentence has passed, the judge has knocked down the gavel and says, hey, uh, you are going to jail, you are going to the death penalty for that crime. And, and we know that people, that happens all the time and they go to jail, but believe it or not, did you know there's a way for that person, even though they're guilty, to actually be set free from that crime? It's called a pardon. And the one in authority, the governor, has the part out of mercy, out of goodness, certainly nothing that that person did in jail. They can't undo the crime. It's too late. But out of mercy, the governor could go down there and grant that person in jail a full pardon for their crimes. And by receiving that pardon, the doors come open and they are set free and they're rescued from the death penalty. Folks, that's what God is doing every single day with us spiritually. He has allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the death penalty in our place. He's pardoned us, but a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it. And it's actually been on historical record that there have been people on death row who a governor has gone down out of mercy and extended to them a full pardon, but they've rejected it. And by their own doing, they went to the death penalty. Folks, don't make that same mistake for all eternity. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done. All of it. Even the sins we don't even know about. He wants to pardon you and forgive you, but you must receive that by faith today. The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you call upon His name, ask Him to forgive you of all your sins, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Please do that now. Please do that today because tomorrow may be too late. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries. Again, thank you for joining us. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. Our information and number and uh, things will uh, pop up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.